I recently spent eight weeks overseas to commentate the PTO US Open, Asian Open, and then go and do some live podcasts at the Men's Ironman World Championships. And during the trip, my sleep became awful. I literally stopped training because I was feeling terrible most days and I was just back to my old ways of struggling to fall asleep at night and then waking up during the night and not being able to fall back asleep. And because of that, when I'd get up in the mornings, I was just completely exhausted pretty much every day. And I literally know it was because I didn't take any pillar performance triple magnesium with me overseas because the day I got back home, I took it and I literally slept well. And then I've slept better and better every night since. I've started training every morning again. And I literally told someone today that I finally feel like my, myself again, like pre the overseas trip. And I know it sounds wild, but it really does make that big a difference to my sleep. And the biggest thing I notice is that because of that, I've been waking up fresh, motivated and eager to train, something I literally lost for like six or seven weeks. And I also little things like I've been eating so much healthier because I found that when I sleep crap, I just end up eating crap. But when I sleep well, I tend to eat pretty healthy. And anyway, it just reinforced to me that if you're an athlete or someone who trains or literally just wants to feel your best every day, then go to Pillar Performance's website, get yourself some triple magnesium, use the discount code HCT20 for 20% off it, start taking it 45 minutes before bed every night, and just start to see for yourself what I'm talking about now and how much better you'll feel every morning waking up after you took triple magnesium the night before. Kat Matthews, it's great to have you here to talk all things the Women's Ironman World Championships that are happening this weekend. This is, in my opinion, without question, the strongest and probably most compelling women's field we've ever had for the Ironman World Championships. And I think it's also the first one where your name is properly being thrown around as someone who can win it. Are you feeling that outside talk about your chances? And I guess more importantly, how are you feeling about your chances? Oh, straight in there. Hi. Um, <laughs> question. Do I think I can win the world champs? Um, I, yeah, I mean, it's my first time racing in Kona. So ultimately that's where I'm at. Um, and yeah, I think there's statistically under, you know, Thorsten's um, ratings, there's seven of us within a few minutes in terms of predicted or possible times based off previous results. So it's, I think that's more exciting than uh, sort of high pressure um but yeah i i am feeling the pressure but i i am most days able to see it as like cool i'm here to try and win this race not oh my goodness people think i have to win i have to win i have to win and that sort of negative stress but that that does creep in sometimes you came second at the ironman world championships but the st george version like which was in 2022 but it is officially the 2021 world championships do you count that as you having come second at the Ironman World Championships or are you someone who didn't see it as a real world championships? The way you worded that with the but, the St. George version, tells me your answer. I see that as a valid Ironman World Championships, the same as Sam Laidlow just won the Ironman World Championships. I don't hold this maybe aged generational thing of it's Kona or nothing. For me, it's an Ironman World Championships is the day which Ironman designate 
wherever it is on whatever day that that is the world championships and obviously covid provided us many challenges and a postponement i know that every professional athlete had their eye on in the female field had their eye on the st george race as you know a legitimate and the next world championships from when it was postponed in october 21 or september 21 so yeah i'm i'm really proud of that i had covid three weeks before that race uh and I pulled out a performance that I still think is my best off the sort of, you know, background uh, that I've ever done. No, I'm actually with you, by the way, Kat. I definitely count it and definitely place it just as highly as any other world championships. But I have talked to other athletes who raced that day and did very well that day who don't count it. So I did want to sort of find out where you're at because I very, very, like, I 100% see you as someone who has come second at the Ironman World Championships. And with that, someone who came second to one of the best performances I've ever seen from someone at, a, at an Ironman World Championships in Daniela's that, uh, performance that day. And, you know, Arne Haag was in great shape that day as well and, and you beat her. So I just wanted to get an idea where your head was at like with that because I do think this is the race where we've got a slightly stronger field and you're being talked about as a favourite. And I think a lot of people are talking about you like you're a left field favourite, but you have come second on an Ironman World Championships before. Yeah, I think I think like you say, the the field at St George Race, podium, you know, standing between Daniela and Anne, who I know and or have told me they had excellent races. I wonder whether those people who have said it's not necessarily as legit didn't have such excellent races that day and therefore are slightly biased, perhaps. But I think um in the female field, I'm not talking about the men's field. Um I think I always tend to be a bit of a left field. Um you know, favourite in quote marks, and I, I, I guess I'm still pretty new here, and I'm, I'm happy. To, I absolutely love being, you know, on the sidelines or the underdog. I said to Daniela actually in the Lati Awards party, I said, oh, I absolutely love. You know, I can't. You sort of can't wait. I'm this Kona. You know, Kona debut. I'm the underdog. She was like, you're not an underdog to me. <laughs> <laughs> so. I, I think it's more just, yeah, I'm I'm totally happy with that. It doesn't bother me. In a way, it makes it easier for me, I think. I do find it a bit silly, though, because of all of the favourites. So I look at the favourites as being Taylor Nib, Daniela Reef, Aaron Hag, Chelsea Sodaro, Lucy Charles, Laura Phillip, and yourself. Not to discount anyone else, but I think that's the group of recognised pre-race favourites. I actually see you as maybe the most consistent out of any of them. I think it's very unlikely that you're the one that's going to have the bad day if anyone does have the bad day. Oh, I don't know about that. I think you're throwing in Kona. I think you have to have a little bit of an asterisk there. And that's how I, I do see it. I'm not giving myself any excuses, but those girls have all, except for Taylor, raced in these conditions and performed really well in these conditions. Um, so I think... I don't think you can sort of count me as consistent in these conditions. What's it like having your name amongst that group of women? Um, well, I guess I've been racing this, you know, quite, a, you know, the top 30 of these women or however it turns out on race day. I've been racing them for the last three or four years. So I I guess a couple of years ago, I it was a bit odd, but now it seems very normal. I raced a good few of them at Lati. Um, I've never actually raced uh, against Chelsea or Lucy or Laura in an Ironman, which is quite fun. Um, 
So, yeah, it's cool. I, I, I see that as like a really exciting place to be in a race rather than, it, you know, any negative pressure. So there is no part of you anymore that feels nervousness or like almost sort of like intimidation by any of those girls? No, I think that's interesting. I'm not intimidated by their, their name as such. I have massive respect for their performance and, you know, level of ability and how, how hard they will work and because I know how hard I'll work on race day. So it's not intimidation, it's respect, I guess. And so let's take this back a step and, and talk about your preparation. You obviously had that amazing race. I actually, from the outside looking in, thought you might have surpassed your St. George race with that race in Lati. How did you feel about that race, um, maybe during it and reflecting on it? Um, yeah, so obviously it was really great. Um, podium at a World Champs holds real value. Um, going into it, I had obviously come off the back of a personally a disappointing result in Milwaukee I just couldn't perform uh, across all three elements and it, it was a real bizarre one so I'm have a little asterisk next to that um still haven't given that a real reason but I guess I felt like I knew I had more to give and so Lati became an opportunity a total just opportunity race to show it before going into Kona and I think I had done a bit of sort of slightly higher intensity training over the summer um changed up my routine slightly just because we we're at home and there was people to do long rides with there's lots of Loughborough ITU athletes so I think yeah a little bit of slightly different training was was fun to do um and then the race itself I had been like PBing and swimming like I had but I had no race confidence so I had a good dive I Laura Phillip next to me I could see she dropped off and I suddenly found myself between like Holly Lawrence and um, who had the same coloured cap as me. And then I could see Paula behind me. So I was like, right, I've been here before. I can do this. And so I had a bit of a mentality of um, the race ends in T1, which actually Mark suggested the day before. So for me, I've I've experienced now at Oceanside being in the race, in the pack, on the bike. And it is a totally different triathlon race experience. So I desperately wanted that in Lati. And so the the swim became such a big focus um, and it, it paid off. Um, I then felt really good on the bike, uh, totally in control, tried to break away, couldn't break away, sat in a bit. I think everyone in the group got a bit frustrated. It was all a bit congested at times. There was a lot of tactics and you had to be super aware all the time. So there was challenges there that I think are in every professional pack racing, but I'm not sure the women have as much experience as the men of it. So that was quite cool, really, in hindsight, but at the time, super stressful. Um, and then the run, I felt really great. So there's not more to add there. Um, my running has been more consistent than ever, which is so bizarre considering the last 12 months, but I put that down to my coach Bjorn's just super steady, composed build, I'm so so happy and confident with where it's where my sort of run ability is like the capacity, how I perform on race day now, TBC. But going into Lati, I I had confidence that I could run with Emma. Um, I outran her up the hills in St George 70.3 Worlds, which she reminded me of afterwards. So she knew that I ran hill uphill better than her. And I think again, it's just it's people's perception of. <sighs> maybe it's my problem so I think of this first but I think people just 
look at me and perhaps underestimate my run ability, um, which is totally understandable. That is society. But I'm hoping that a few more good run race results and people just slowly start to drop that ingrained societal uh, belief about, you know, the optimal performance running shape as such. That's fascinating. Like, do you think about that much when when you because I know we had a podcast and a lot of people may or may not have listened to that, but we talked about body weight and body image and particularly in the female side of our sport quite deeply. And it was one of my favorite like little bits of um, conversation I've ever had on the podcast with anyone, to be honest. Um, do you still like think about that? Do you because I remember you said that you know you didn't always like love the way you looked but you now feel like super confident in it and you don't even really think about it where do you stand now yeah I think I think back when in that previous conversation and still now I think things like my um self-perception of my or confidence in my body image I think that fluctuates all the time and I think it's quite common um I know some people just it doesn't even cross their mind for their entire life and I think wow that's that must be very cool um but yeah, no, it's de- it definitely fluctuates and performance grounds it. Um, not racing and not performing adds, you know, a slight uncertainty that the, my body works the way I want it to work, um, irrelevant of how it looks. So as soon as I can perform and I, I hit times and yeah, performances that I'm happy with, I just get that reassurance that it's like, oh yeah, your body's working totally fine. It, it doesn't matter that you have a slightly different perception of you know your height or your width or your fat percentage that's of you know external fat percentage um or how many six packs you have compared to somebody else I think I've actually become really sort of passionate about the idea that I can be something that people can see and hopefully they can be happier from that as in if if I can perform as I am, perhaps other people who have similar thoughts can perform to their own capacity. I think it's really common to think, oh, no, I can't do that. I don't have, you know, my legs aren't long enough or, oh, goodness, of course, they're a runner. They look at look at their legs or look at how well, look at how good they look. Oh, they're an athlete. And I think there must be such a proportion of society that don't even think about getting into running because they don't think that they look like someone who could be good um so yeah haven't quite thought that one out enough to verbalize it properly but yeah quite passionate about that so back to me sorry um I am confident now that I can I am one of the best runners in the sport um at 70.3 and I know that I'm one of three athletes on race day that can run this year can run a sub 250 so that's fun no, Kat, like I fucking love you for this. This was the first thing um, when I talked to you for the first time that made me just like fall in love with you like everyone does. You're the people's champ for this kind of thing. You're so real and raw and honest and super relatable. And because it, it, like I look at you and just from purely someone who's a fan of the sport and just think Kat Matthews is one of the best runners in the world, one of the most consistent runners in the world, one of the toughest runners in the world. And not for a split second have I ever looked at you running and thought, or Cat Matthews doesn't have a runner's body, or Cat Matthews is, let's take it to the extreme, he's overweight or doesn't look like a triathlete. Never, not once. But it's so interesting that you, as one of the best runners female triathlons ever seen over long course triathlon, 
still has these thoughts that we all have. Like I have them. I used to be, my whole life I was super skinny, right? Always skinny. And now I'm not. Now I've like put on 20 kilos in the last like five years and I have these issues. And in a weird way, even me, I'm not really probably the person you're necessarily speaking to there. Like you're probably speaking to young women in our sport and women in general way more than what you are me and it would probably have more impact on them than it would sort of someone like me, a 30-year-old male. But like it genuinely, like I, I hear what you're saying and it actually makes me even feel a little bit more normal with the thoughts that I have and the negative self-talk I have and the occasional way I look in the mirror and don't like how I look or, you know, feel crap when I'm out running because I don't, you know, like compared to what I used to. It's just, yeah, I, I just don't think you can underestimate the impact that like you speaking about this stuff has. I know we, we're supposed to be diving into the world championships, but it, it's like an such an important part of the message you spread and I just love you for it. Yeah. Thank you. It's very kind. And I think it's not just what's nice is that I have like real evidence. Like it's not just me and my emotions thinking these things. Like I've had people who I respect in the sport come up to me and say, oh, it's so great to see that you sorted your diet out or, oh, you know, you know, we've noticed this change in your body. You know, you're looking more and more like an athlete this year sort of thing after a good result. And so it's, it is a bit mad, but I know it's not just, you know, me and, and, or anyone and their emotions thinking this. It's definitely ingrained. Um, and I guess the other side to it while we're on the topic is the, the, problem or the one of the reasons not just for you know everyone's sort of mental health or, or specific people's mental health around it is that we have a real problem in the sport of perhaps well in my opinion a real problem of under eating under fueling um and creating this sort of slightly uh spiral effect of you know a red s um hormonal shifts both in men and women and i think that the idea that we perhaps some people start those spirals because they think they have to look a certain way and I guess that would be a real real bonus that if I could in some way affect just one or two people's lifestyles that they didn't feel they had to go down that line of you know restrictive eating for years and years and have then have those bony problems yeah so it's like yeah, it's madness that anyone like with a name in this sport still holds those opinions and like comes up and says them to you like that. Like, it's just fucking stupid. Like, you are literally one of the best runners in the sport. You don't really have bad runs. Like, it really ever. And like, what's even more wild is when you look at your training, you probably go, how does she even run this fast? Like, it's not like you're someone who goes and runs 160K a week and that's why you're so good. Like, you don't even run that much. So it's just like, it's all just completely crazy to me and yeah i love your message um so thanks yeah. well well it's real fire to me for race day to run really well but ultimately i am not an athlete who is going to go after specific swim bike or run you know best legs so yeah sure the run course record is in my eyesight but i think that this race there might be one or two or three people beating that run course record so it's it's Marinda Carfrey, yeah, two fifty, two fifty, yeah, yeah two fifty high, fifty something, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like really, you, Arn Hag, and Chelsea Sodaro should already have one of you should have that record come come Monday next week. Yeah, I think I really think there'll be more than one person who do does okay. uh, break the record. Let's let's dive into the the mechanics of the race. And seriously, like, thank you so much for that conversation. It, like, it genuinely, like, I'm sitting here, I've been impacted by. It. I'm not even just saying that for the sake of the podcast. Like, just between you and me, 
I, I was struggling with this exact thing yesterday and some negative self-talk and yeah, I personally need to hear it so I can only imagine how many people feel the same like literally right now. Um, but going to the dynamics and mechanics of, of the world champs, with this stacked field, I, I talked to Lucy Charles and she was on the podcast yesterday and she did talk about how it's probably going to affect the race dynamics for her for the first time. Like she said that she ideally wants a swim group now and she might swim a little bit slower to make that happen, like to have the likes of Beck Clark, Taylor Nib, Fenella Langridge with her. How do you see this really strong field, the strongest and deepest field we've, we've ever had? How do you see it impacting the dynamics of the race? Oh, that sounds like an excuse to me for Lucy not having a good swim. Um, <laughs> I think that that's interesting. And obviously the biggest... The new factor is Taylor. So um, Fenella and Rebecca were there last year, um, but Lucy gapped them. Um, correct me if I'm wrong in any of this. I was a little bit, I realised I don't remember a lot of my trip to Kona last year. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I see I see that being interesting. And I think what's interesting is obviously Taylor can outride Lucy. So Lucy will at no point in perhaps be at the front of the race which is really interesting. And I wonder how hard that will be for her. Um, I can't, as in mentally. So I think that's that's interesting. I've got nothing else to add there. Um, but equally, it's not great for us, perhaps, chasing, because it's people taking turns at the front of the race rather than a sort of one, one rabbit chase. Um, but we've seen it in the PTO races a lot recently, and it's those packs have, you know, been able to come together. So... I think I think it it could be a diff it could be quite different until probably quite a similar race at the sort of twenty k point on the run even even into T two. If you want to take your swimming seriously, you need to be wearing form goggles. There's a reason why so many of the world's best triathletes use them in their training, from the sport's best swimmer in Aaron Royal to the likes of Christian Blumenfeld and Gustav Eden. Using them in training makes your swim sessions so much better. You can see the pace you're swimming the whole time, so it makes doing intervals and sessions that much easier and more specific. You don't have to be trying to use your watch and fiddling around with it or looking up at the clock between every, every interval. You don't have to be swimming and guessing how fast you're going. Using form goggles literally takes so much of the annoying parts of swimming away and makes things less confusing and more professional. I describe them to people who haven't used them before as the equivalent of using a GPS watch when you run and ride. And we all know how much better that makes your running and riding training. So use the discount code HTT15 to get 15% off your form goggles and see why everyone who takes their triathlon seriously chooses to use them. You seriously won't regret it. They change your swimming training for the better and you'll be glad you decided to try them finally. Do you think that, like, do you, think that you will have a group around you? I'm, I'm just curious where you personally think you'll come out of the swim with, with these. Because, like, I mean, you could go either way really, couldn't you? You could sort of swim a little bit like you did at the World Championships or maybe more like the US Open and it probably completely changes the way the race plays out for you. Yeah, totally. I like with every triathlon, I think the swim is a make or break. Um, we saw Chelsea have a really sort of excellent swim last year um, and that made her, her race. Um, ultimately, you can still perform well, but I'm not sure if you can win with a bad swim. Um, so yeah, I see myself with Chelsea, if you look down the list, with Chelsea ahead of Anne, with Daniela, obviously behind Taylor and Lucy, and ahead of Laura. Laura hasn't shown or Anne hasn't shown the swim form 
that I have shown in occasional races. So I'm taking that as I'm on a trajectory rather than just being a fluky one-off, two-off races that I've swum, swum well at. Um, there is the critic that says you've only swum well with a wetsuit, but I'm actually quite confident in my non-wetsuit swimming. It's just so much better overall, like my swimming in a pool. It's not just, um, you know, wetsuit swimming. I've just excelled at. So I'm confident but I don't have that much experience of sea swims. Um, so there's just, and I, and mass starts is not my favorite thing. I don't know if it's anyone's favorite thing, but there's, there's a massive unknown about this sort of, you know, this race. And again, except for Taylor, they've all raced it before. So I come back to that caveat of like, people have played these dynamics before and multiple times for some people. So there's a lot of learning there that I haven't got. I guess at the 70.3 world championships, you came out of the water you're sort of right with Daniela, I think a couple of feet even ahead of Daniela. And ideally, you if you could find yourself with Daniela and Chelsea out of the swim, what's going through your head at that point? Drop Chelsea. Really? And so you, <laughs> I guess with St. George World Championships, when you were the last one, you were the last person to, to hold Daniela's wheel, is that sort of where your head would be at again? Like, hey, I'm just going to sit with, with Daniela or would you try and be a bit more aggressive? Oh, I think that's a bit unfair. I mean, it is fair, but um, I did take a turn at the front um, rather than just hanging on Daniela's wheel. I even thought at the point of this race, it was maybe, I'm going to say the 40K in, I was like, I can't win this race. I can't win this race having not pulled a turn on the front. That's not fair. Like that's not sportsmanship-like. So that's, I went to the front, pulled a turn. I might have even done one or two, but and then she eventually broke me with one of her uphill surges. Um, so yeah, I am really confident with my training on the bike, um, better than it's ever been, like better than St. George. Like I know that everyone gets better, but I have not only better numbers, but also a lot more confidence in my endurance now, having been in the sport just a couple of years longer. So I don't think we've seen Chelsea's bike performance this year. Um, and we know that Taylor's and Lucy's is well up there. I don't know if we've really seen Laura's in terms of being in a big group. Like, I don't know whether she'll, like how far back on the swim she'll be, whether she'll then be in the group. So that's interesting. Like if she comes out with me in the group, Laura and I, I think, you know, I think we're both great riders, both on canyons. Like I think that will be a great, you know, sort of battle slash duo um, and hopefully with Daniela. But I, I, at the moment, I don't see Chelsea being as strong on the bike, but I'm happy to be proved wrong. I've just got to unpack all of this. I want to start, like, stay on Daniela for a second. So we saw what Daniela did at Challenge Roth, and it was just insane, like completely mind-blowingly insane. But then at the 70.3 World Championships, she probably didn't have a ride that was quite to that level. Um, she rode with, with, with you most of the day. What kind of version do you think we're going to get of, of Daniela at Kona? That's oh, a tricky one. I think she achieved so much at roth um and then she was also she she's been really open about having a sort of viral fatigue element but i just wouldn't be surprised if she's absolutely excellent on race day so i don't know i think she's she's put the uncertainty out there again um by being so honest and i think it would be a fool to underestimate her but equally it could it could happen that she doesn't kick on at the hundred hundred k point, 
Um, but I think she'll be really strong until at least the 100k or 110k point. So that's where I feel like she'll make the most impact if we're, if there's a chasing group. It does tend to happen that every time we write Daniela off, that's when she comes back and performs again. So you've got to be careful of the, the Daniela write-off because it usually just makes Daniela race well. Um, Going to Chelsea, like you talked about, would you be confident if you did come off the bike with Chelsea that you could outrun her? Or or are you really, like, is your goal, hey, don't come off the, the bike with Chelsea, make sure she's not there? I don't think that even Anne would want to come off the bike with Chelsea. I don't see myself running faster than Chelsea or Anne on, on you know, if they're having good days, basically. And I absolutely what's what is quite fun is that I definitely 100% won't run the first half as quick as them so coming off the bike if we're all together I include Anne in that because if Chelsea's there I see Anne ahead of her then it's going to be a really cool day to watch I think because they're going to go off really hard and I think that they'll tail off and I'll come through and perhaps we'll get another retake Arne Hag's a fascinating one as well because, you know, she's, um, I think she's 40, how old is she now? 40 on the dot, hasn't turned 41 yet, I don't think. Uh, she's had an amazing career, but I think that we're seeing the best year of Arne Hag's career that we've seen and, and she's already an Ironman world champion. How do you think that you guys have to race, maybe particularly that group with you and Daniela in it, do you think that you have to race a certain way to make sure Arne can't get into the race? No, I think that, everybody on that start line will race to their absolute capacity. And I don't think specific tactics, honestly, will will have too much of a sort of, I don't know, you know, if I have to do this specific thing at this specific point to beat this person, yeah. I think they're all, we're all in a place where we have a capacity and we're going to, you know, try and perform to the, to our top percent also if i did think that i probably wouldn't say it on a podcast that they may or may not listen to before the race <laughs> yeah good point good point i can only try though um <laughs> read Arne, she's been riding crazy well like her riding over the last three four years has just yeah i think it's one of the most underrated things in the sport how good a bike rider Arne hug has become do you expect to ever see her on the bike do you, would you be surprised if she rode up to to your group I wouldn't be surprised, no. I would think, oh, she's overdone it. I'll outrun her. Yeah. That would be the only mentality that I'd be able to sort of positively have. So, yeah, I think, um, yeah, wouldn't be surprised, but I don't think it will happen. And then this front group, because this is really the talking point of the race, isn't it? It's like Taylor Nib has made this race uh, I, I mean, she's sort of she's dominated the the discussion around this race. I think everyone's excited to see what she will do, and maybe it's because of the style of racing that she brings. We we expect her to be in the front at the swim, and we all expect her to ride off the front of the race and and sort of ride in that maybe that old school that 2010 way, the Chris Lieto, uh old school Daniela Reef style of way. What do you think Taylor brings to this race? I think she brings prestige as the current 70.3 world champ. And most recent sort of PTO race win, maybe not recent, but like most prestigious race winner of this year. I think that brings a lot to, yeah, the prestige and respect of the Ironman distance. In terms of the specifics, I think 
we've already discussed the swim element, like with for Lucy and the chasing pack have, you know, having a bit more work to do. But I think there's also this sort of just question mark around the run. Like anybody's first Ironman, you either blow up or you do it conservatively. I don't know anyone who's sort of PB'd or, you know, obviously it's a PB, but anyone who's really run to their potential or their first Ironman. So I'm mainly just super excited for Taylor to have a great race personally. But outside of that, in a competitive way, I think that it's very interesting and it'll be really hard personally to not get carried away by where Taylor is because I, like, statistically can't see the experience of the her beating the experience of the field in her first Ironman in Kona that is just out of this world like incredible so I have to just I can't affect that if that happens so I just have to sort of sidestep that and just focus on the players and I know how they'll perform it's because it's Taylor Nib right like if it was anyone else maybe anyone else ever in triathlon with, with maybe 2014 Daniela Reef being the exception, no one would be surprised if Taylor Nib came off the bike in T2 with like a six, seven, eight-minute lead, would they? No, I don't think they would. And also, I guess we need to remember that Taylor's got well, probably 20 years of endurance experience behind her belt. Like, she may not have trained for Ironman, but I'm not sure I've ever trained for Ironman. You know, the way way I train or the way some, some people train is not this prehistoric, you have to go out and do six-hour rides into a two-hour brick run. You know, it's not the Norwegian, let's do an Ironman the, the week before an Ironman just to practice doing an Ironman. <laughs> I, I think that... Yeah, there's there's a lot more to it. And I think she's a lot, not just, she's a lot savvier, cleverer, you know, experienced than we give her and her paper record credit for. I think that's one thing people are starting to recognize about her though, how deeply she thinks about the sport, how analytical she is, how bloody smart she is to, to be like um, plain. And talking to her about the race, I didn't at all get the sense, even though she sort of tries to say it a little bit, that she's just here for the experience. I don't, I don't get that vibe from her. I get the vibe that she's coming here with the same mentality she goes into any other race. Totally. I think she's here to win, full stop. I think, those, that, I think that top seven, like you've said, are here to win the race, which is unusual. And I think that there's another, probably another 10 people who think they might, might on a good day be able to podium. And so you and Taylor, you have the same manager. I believe that you're, you're pretty friendly, you and Taylor. And she came on the podcast and talked about the fact that she's moved on from her, her longtime coach. Will that have any impact on her race day, do you think? Like, will that have affected her lead into the race, her week during the race, and, and ultimately the way she does race? I, I won't um, or wouldn't want to comment on Taylor's coaching, sorry. Understood. Got to ask. And so with Lucy, people think... I think what I've been hearing a lot of is that Taylor Nib being in the race probably suits Lucy and, and helps Lucy more than anyone else. Do you see it that way or do you see it not that way? Helps Lucy? Oh, I don't know. I'm not sure Lucy would see it that way. I guess everyone will have, will all have heard Lucy's podcast by then, but I think I'm not sure if she helps Lucy. I think someone else that Lucy now has to beat to win. Um, I think they they are quite, you know, perhaps more similarly matched than Lucy's ever had. So in terms of the swim and the bike. Um, so, yeah, I'm not sure if it helps Lucy more than anyone. I think it, 
I'm not sure it helps anyone. <laughs> <laughs> do, do you think Lucy has to overbike to hold Taylor's wheel for the entire ride? Good question. I'm not sure if Lucy would. I think Lucy would have the composure to not overbike because she's run so well before in the past. I think she must already know where her capacity line is. So I think she could let herself, you know, a previous Lucy or a, or a PTO distance Lucy might get sort of rallied up in that. But I'm not sure with the Ironman that, that Lucy would do that. I felt, and, and I'm curious if you felt this, I felt like every other of the previous four Ironman World Championships at Kona that Lucy has been talked about as the favourite or second favourite and like a lot of hype behind her. She's obviously ended up with four second places. I feel like this is the first year that there isn't that same level of of hype about Lucy Charles. Have you felt that as well? Um, I think that's self-generated perhaps. I think um, we've known Lucy to be very active on social media over the last few years and it feels like this year she's been less active. So I think that's a perhaps a self-generated perception. On purpose, do you think? Um, I don't know. I've got absolutely no insight into into the media into the media world there it's funny though isn't it because i feel like she has like behind the scenes been building really nicely this race hasn't been injured for the first time in a while i think she she mentioned that she was slightly sick for one little bit and i do get that vibe that maybe a quiet lucy is a bit more of a dangerous lucy honestly i don't pay too much attention to what um some athletes put out on social media because i know that it's not in real time so I don't know. Don't really have much to add there. Sorry. I'm really excited to be able to finally talk about something I've been keeping myself for quite a while, and that's Precision Fuel and Hydration's newest product, the Flow Gel. The Flow Gel has been designed to fix a problem we've all had at some point of how do we carry enough fuel for our long rides and races? Because we've all had to stop at gas stations or corner stores on long rides because we've run out or go to an aid station during a race to take on a product that we've never tried, never tested, and don't really want to use but have been forced to. That's where the flow gel comes in. The flow gel is 300 grams of carbohydrate in one gel. It's a slightly different formula to their regular gel though, which is where the name flow comes from because it flows out of each gel pouch really, really easily. And because of this, they've also released a flow bottle, which is a bottle that has a scale on the side so you can squeeze the flow gel into it and like chuck it into your bottle cage on the bike or carry it on a run. And then as you drink from it, you'll know exactly how many grams of carbohydrates you've taken on of the 300 grams that you started with. You don't even have to add water because they spent so much time engineering the perfect mix of, of the gel. Each flow gel contains the equivalent of 10 gels, but it's resealable. So you don't have to use it all at one time if you don't want to. And it is basically the exact same gel as my favorite precision fuel and hydration product, the PF90 gel, just prepared slightly differently so it flows more easily. Leon Chevalier um, was testing on the run-up to coming fifth at the Ironman World Championships in Nice. And he said that he used to have to squeeze 10 gels into a bottle before a race, but now he can just pour a flow gel into a flow bottle and that saves him time and um, it just helps him keep, tab, keep tabs on exactly what he's getting on board. He just loves how efficient and convenient it is and said that it really did change fueling for him on the lead up and race day uh, at the Ironman World Championships this year. So that's huge coming from him. Flow gel is available on pre-order now exclusively on Precision Fuel and Hydration's website, which I put the link to in the show notes. It'll be shipping most places by mid-October um, right in time for the Aussie and Kiwi summer of long rides and for the rest of the world, probably right on time for uh, your long trainer sessions. Remember to use the discount code HTT23 for 15% off when you do decide to go and pre-order some. 
Uh, and then I'll briefly touch on Laura Phillips because you talked about her before and maybe where her swim's at. Laura Phillips, for, like, forever been someone who gets really close in these big races but doesn't quite look like making that step to, say, winning one of the big races, like a 70.3 world champs or an Ironman world champs. How do you look at her in this race and her position in the race? I think she always has the potential to podium. Um, I think she's been unfortunate as well. Um, and we don't often use that. I think we often sort of say, oh, if, they, if someone gets a penalty, they deserve it or this sort of thing. But I think she also has just been unfortunate sometimes. And perhaps there's a psychology element there to sort of bigger races. I don't know. Only only um, Laura and her team team know what, what that sort of, you know, world championship pressure brings to her. But when I do perceive some of the things she says, it sounds like it's very much a point to prove um, rather than an opportunity of um, sort of showing what you've got. If that, if those two things can, um, you can sort of see the difference between those. So I always see her as an absolute contender. Um, I think this year she hasn't, like I said, actually just earlier, didn't I, that I don't think she's shown her run form this year and I, and she hasn't performed outstandingly in the swim so I think that's where she is sort of struggling to win perhaps um you could say the same for me uh you know without being in that big bike pack and then not being able to seal the deal with the run so there's always potential there and I'm always aware of where Laura is and to come back to you so the 70.3 world championships which you sort of talked us through since then and and between then and now, how's everything been going? How's your build-up been going? How's your training been going? How's your health been going? Um, so I'm sure people say this all the time, but I am pretty happy that I'm very honest. And if something's not been great, it's not been great. I had basically a flawless three-week training block in Lanzarote where swimming was better than ever, biking was better than ever, and my run was more consistent than ever. So, yeah, my build was pretty good. Um, I've had low periods after that, as in got home from camp, felt rubbish, you know, deloading in terms of activity and training and coming out here and stressing and worrying. But that tends to be my most stressful part of a pre-race. That sort of two to three weeks out, I suddenly go into panic mode about everything that could go wrong. And then now it's finally starting to settle again that I'm here climatized and I've still got a whole week left. So everything's been great. And I think maybe it's also my perception of what great looks like now. It doesn't have to be, I know I just used the word flawless, but it doesn't have to be perfect. And I think it's the perfect given this situation. Um, and I think coming off the back of last year, the situation just could not be better right now so I think there's there's definitely an element of that clouding my perspective and it looked like you had a really amazing camp like a good environment people you love around you a full-time training partner can you talk to me a little bit about that yeah um so in earlier in the year January sort of February time well January uh, me and Indy Lee decided to go out to Lanzarote for a sort of little training camp um and a friend of ours 
I guess quite loose friend at the time moved to near Loughborough and he was going to come out as well just sort of happened to be there and then just happened to be like yeah cool I'll stay as well we all sort of got fit together in January and we had such a good time that we were like let's just do another three weeks in February so the three of us then went out again in February and did the whole sort of repeated with a slightly more structure and so that was then when I decided to go back to Lanzarote um, for my build rather than going to America or Texas or anywhere um Sam who lives just five minutes away from me and we've been training all summer swimming together he was like cool I'd like to come so um Indy had already agreed to train out with Ruth in Kona I didn't want to come to America um earlier than I had to and so me we sort of split the group I guess uh, Ruth and Indy and and me and Sam so yeah Mark was there because he's now full-time sort of supporting me which is is a bit of a game changer actually um not in massive tangible ways but the sort of smaller smaller things that just all really add up so he was doing a lot of the training well I guess maybe half of it um but yeah having Sam there full-time doing my training program was pretty amazing does your coach so you're coached by Bjorn Giesman one of the best coaches in the game do, does he play a role in like talking to your training partner in Sam or even or even Indy Lee? Does does he talk to them about like, hey, this is what your role is, this is what you've got to do, or do you literally just like Sam's just there and whatever you do, he does, and you just chat and have fun? Uh, the latter, we just we just chat and have fun. I, you know, I'll be like, here's this is what we're doing, or he, or if I haven't, it's like um, he says, are we training tomorrow? And I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we created a bit of a joke earlier in the year, Indy and Sam did, to actually, like, in to me, that I would often just be like, oh, by the way, and then I'd add in, I've got three times six at tempo. <laughs> um, so now whenever I have reps, which is nearly every session, it's, have you got any by the ways? Um, so, yeah, no, there's no communication really from, except for just banter between um, Bjorn and Sam. It's just um, Bjorn's really happy that Sam was selfless enough to do that so obviously Sam's a professional athlete he's training for Florida you know I guess Kona's on his radar for next year as well so he's also expecting a child in the new year so that you know everybody's got a lot going on and it's it's I feel very fortunate that we can be a sort of you know mutually supportive mini team and to to wrap it up with your training have you sort of been following the same approach as what you were last time we we chatted or can you take me inside the maybe the last little block that you've done between the 70.3 world championships and and race week yeah um so yeah i guess we unpacked it a little bit didn't we before um maybe not the stereotypical ironman training as some people do um just to add over the summer i did do a slightly different more of a, a weekly monday to sunday schedule um, with you know a sort of four four and a half hour long ride on a weekend which is new to me um Sophie Coldwell and I live Matthias um Jodie Stimpson all went on a four hour 45 ride which I think is my longest ever training ride and it was you know it was Sophie's ride who's training for IT um Olympic distance which is fun anyway um the gap between Lati and now I think has been just a very normal for me training uh, camp. So higher volume, like overload over three, four, five days um, and then a day off or just a swim. And I guess it's been a real sort of, a, well, not a real, but like a bit of a spike in volume just because it's camp and it's easier to do an hour extra volume on the bike every day. Um, I often ride 
five or six times a week. And I think I was averaging like 23 or 24 hours a week. But again, I'm not doing a weekly average. It's more of like four or five days rolling. Um, so it just depends on how that how that looks. Um, probably running two days, day off, running again, day off, running one day, day off, running two days, that sort of thing. So I'm not really running three days in a row. Um, but I often tend to have a sort of session and a moderately long run. So 75 minutes um 16 17k something like that um with or without by the ways um <laughs> as in three by five tempo or something similar uh and then some like previously again just maybe some 800s or 1k reps in there on the run so but super fast like i'm trying to hit three minute k's rather than like actual threshold um so i train a lot of heart rate which i guess is slightly different to some people but that's that's me i think rather than Bjorn specifically and his athletes I have always done that and so I find a lot of yeah control and satisfaction in really knowing pace power to heart rate ratios so was your longest run 18 kilometers for this build uh my longest run was Lati 21k oh my god it's just crazy how much like the way you train defies traditional belief as to what would make you a fast marathoner isn't it like and but you are you're such a consistently fast half marathoner and, and marathoner it's like it's actually crazy at some at some level it just must be like either a bit of natural ability or just extreme mental mental toughness and 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 resilience because not many people have ever been able to run so well over half marathons and marathons doing the training you do yeah i guess it's just i I don't know what other, we've said this before, I don't know what other people are actually doing and because people don't share it um, and I don't share everything, but 50K run weeks, if you do that consistently over a year, like that's surely that's enough. If I think if you added up that volume and looked across the entire sport, I think you'd be surprised there's not that much difference in it. Um, this month, not that I was trying to, but we, me and Bjorn noticed that I hit my largest ever run volume month in June and then beat it in July with 210 kilometers, I think. So it's not like I don't run that much. I just don't do these massive long runs that Bjorn's pretty adamant that it's just too much overload. Um, and therefore you're, you don't then get the stimulus of the next day's training. So I'm happy, like, for example, I've got I did a I did a 75 minute run the other day in the energy lab um so we're sort of 10 days out from the race back then um yeah easy easy I say easy obviously it's not easy your heart rate's a bit too high for easy but it's like a steady under LT1 run um I was really happy to hit and somewhere near 430s k's which like I'd be happy with in the UK so I was obviously working a bit harder than I probably should have um but obviously it's uphill downhill so you get a bit of benefit and then the next day I'm doing I'm backing that up with another hour with intervals so I think I think that's perhaps the difference like some people might do a two-hour run and like I just saw today on Strava somebody do a two-hour run and it was basically above their race pace um and they probably won't run for two days or or I wouldn't be able to run for two days without risking injury off that so I think it's maybe not as bizarre I'm happy for it to be a bit freaky, sure, but it's not the sort of the theory is there. There's no, perhaps there's also a negative for doing these really long runs that you don't necessarily recover from. It's working. So you like, 
you, you're as consistent as it gets and you're one of the best runners in the sport. So why on, why on earth would you ever change what you're doing? Like even if it isn't maybe what everyone else yeah. is doing, it's working. And I, I said to someone um, in an interview actually last week, I was like, who on earth wouldn't pick three by five minutes at tempo compared to <laughs> yes. 90 minutes at tempo. <laughs> yeah, or like Sam Laidlow doing 40K the week before the race, just like the Norwegians did, you know, last year. Like who actually wants to do that? That's great. Like that's not yeah. fun. Sounds horrendous. Yeah. Literally. I'd rather save all of those motivational tokens for race day. Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Kat, one last question for me and, and then we'll, we'll call it a day. You, you've talked about in the past and you talked about on, on the triathlon hour before about maybe not seeing your crash and your story around your, your crash the same way everyone else did. Like you were a little bit sick of it being your story and sick of people talking about the fact that you were on the comeback and maybe even I got the vibe from you a little, a little sick of people like um, making that your story when you just wanted to get back to racing and just be the best you could be and, and you were sort of more focused on that. And, and I do feel like now you're, that, that is sort of becoming the way you're being talked about. You're just now being, again, talked about as one of the best in the world and coming into this race. I'm not hearing about your crash too much. I'm not hearing about your amazing comeback too much. I'm, I'm really just hearing people talk about how you're one of the favorites and, and picking you to be on your podium. Do you feel that as well? And, and what are your, what are your, what's your mindset and your thinking um, on that like right now? Yeah, I think that's a pretty deep question for, you know, a quick a quick one at the end. But I think my perception or sort of headspace of, of this is, has fluctuated throughout the year. And I think that that's pretty normal or expected with quite significant trauma. Um, I think there was a period, especially at the start of the year, where I was so uncertain with where I was going to be in, in the professional field that I needed to think dismiss 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 and I think Mark and I both were in the same place there of like you know let's try and ignore it in a way um you know you're over that stop using that as an excuse um whereas now I'm I'm actually just in a better place with the idea that that happened and I that is now sort of part of me but that that sort of incident or you know this whole year will not define you know in a negative way me going forwards as an athlete um and I definitely just to clarify don't think it's made me stronger in any way um but I think that it's it's allowed me you know just it's just life and I think that sort of it it is my life I don't think I'm getting bored of it I don't think I will get bored of it I'm now much happier with the fact that it was just I guess a an you know an episode, a part of my life. Um, and it always will be. Kat, good luck this weekend. I mean, you're the people's champ, like I said, and you said it before, like you, you're happy that you're so honest. I think that's why you're the people's champ, you know, raw, honest conversation with you. Like always, you say what you think, you know, you think what you say. It's amazing. I, I loved it. Thanks for coming on. And yeah, good luck. No, thank you for being so hoorah about the women's race. I, I, yeah, thank you. It's a better field than the Men's Ironman World Championship. We should be yeah. excited about yeah, it. Yeah, it is. <laughs> Good luck, Kat. Cool, thanks. If you haven't been to the Feeds website yet, it's time you went and checked it out. It's your one-stop shop for all things triathlon nutrition. The Feed basically have all of the world's best training and race day nutrition products in one place, so you don't have to do multiple orders from multiple websites and pay shipping on all of them. 
or you don't have to go to the effort of driving around to different shops to get different products. You can just head to the Feeds website and it's all there in one place for you. So like I said, if you haven't gone and checked it out, you should go and do that right now. You'll see for yourself how easy it makes buying all of your training and racing nutrition. It's also a really good way to look at nutritional products you never knew existed and try them out by chucking them on top of your order and seeing if they might work for you. Thefeed.com, it really is your number one resource for all things triathlon nutrition. 